Good morning. My name is Bob, if you haven't met me before. And today's Bible reading, the sermon reading, is coming from Colossians 3, 23-25. So I'll be two verses, but the lead up to this so that you will understand what the two verses are, the lead up to these verses sees Paul issuing instructions to the Christian households and the church of Colossae on what is required to be obedient to God. And then Paul said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favouritism. Thanks, Bob. Uh, today we're talking about work. You've probably picked that up a few times this morning. And if you have a job, you are privileged. If you got to choose your job, you're an elite minority, globally speaking. In Australia, 65% of adults are employed, 5.3% unemployed, 2.7% are unable to work, and 27% are retired. The average adult spends 58% of waking hours doing work. That's 206,619 hours and 12 minutes of your life, if you're average. I reckon it's worth spending 20 minutes considering what God says about it. Work has a huge impact on our lives. It impacts where we live, what we live in, how we eat, the things we enjoy, the kind of presents we buy at Christmas. It impacts our happiness, our self-esteem, our, our relationships, and just how we feel about ourselves. Our work impacts our mental health, our physical health, our emotional health, and our spiritual health. I reckon it's worth spending 20 minutes considering what God has to say about work. Last week we began the series with a simple prayer, a very important one, Lord, give me wisdom. Today we're going to explore and apply God's wisdom to our work. So let's pray and then we'll get started. Dear Father, thank you that in your word you've given us everything we need for salvation and a godly life. So we come to understand what your word has to say about work. Please help us to be wise and godly workers so that this significant part of our lives becomes an expression of our devotion to Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. Well, the Bible has so much to say about work, uh, more than we have time for now. Uh, there's no single passage in the Bible that gives us a good understanding of all that God has to teach us about work or, or any other specific topic for that matter. What we need to do is to track the theme of work right through the whole Bible and try and piece together God's wisdom for our lives today. Sounds daunting, doesn't it? It has been. Uh, but the Bible is such a big book, and some of it seems so, well, distant and different from our culture. So we need some kind of framework to help us. And that framework is actually on the kids' sheet this morning. There's a copy on the screen for you. 
Uh, and, and actually, some days after the service, I go around collecting and eating bits of paper. Every now and then there's a kid's sheet, and sometimes the kid's sheets have notes written down. It's almost like an outline of a sermon. So I just think, adults, let's not be shown up by the kids. Like, I, I don't remember all the sermons. Sorry, John, if you're watching online. Um, but taking notes really helps me. So there, there's, a, there's a suggestion for us. Uh, on the kitchen, there's a few questions just to encourage a positive view of work. Then four big boxes that provide the framework we need. Now, these four boxes, it's really just a, a summary of the timeline of the whole Bible. And they're going to help us understand God's wisdom for work. So here they are. First big box, creation. What was God's design for work before sin entered the world and changed everything? was the original plan. Secondly, the fall. How has sin damaged and distorted our view of work and, and every other good gift of God? Thirdly, redemption. We're going to look at what uh, Jesus has done, his work, uh, and how he has fixed the problem of sin and how he transforms our approach to work. And then lastly, briefly, we're going to look at the new creation. We'll see what work is like in heaven. Now, if, you're, uh, if you are a note-taker, that's your subheadings. So let's start with God's good design. In the very first verse of the Bible, we discover that God works. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And a little bit later, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then he blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And so from the very beginning, we see that a balance of work and rest is God's pattern for humanity made in his image. Now, we're not exploring God's good gift of rest today, um, but it's beautiful. And it's my guess that many here today need to actually restore a biblical rest into their lives. That's all I'm going to say about that. Today, our focus is on work. Uh, and in the Bible, work is, and here's my definition, uh, work is using our time for the well-being of God's world. That, that's as simple as I can get it. With all the details and all the caveats cut away, that's, that's as simple as I can get it. Um, let's see how this plays out then, first in creation. When God created people, he said, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And a little bit later we're told, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And then one more verse from chapter 2. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden uh, of Eden to work it and take care of it. Work was part of God's good creation before sin entered the world. It's a good gift. At the very beginning, there's perfect harmony between God and, and people and the environment that we're in. And life was full of purpose because satisfying, meaningful work was God's gift before sin. Now, when we think about Genesis 1.26, back on the screen there, if we think about that, tease that out, I mean, it involves building families, building community, society, uh, by exercising wise, wise stewardship over all the resources of the earth. It involves agriculture. 
industry, education, governance, construction, cleaning, resource management, and so on and on and on. In fact, there's an endless variety in work. Work can be paid or unpaid. It might require great academic skill or physical skill or emotional skill. It may have involved 10 years of specialised training or a few hours on the job coaching. It could be at night or through the day or on call anytime. It may be in a special location, such as a mine, a hospital, in the home, a factory, a church, a high-rise office, on a beach, driving a truck. I once heard a school, a high school careers advisor say to Year 12 uh, students as they're leaving, one third of the jobs you'll be doing in 10 years from now don't yet exist. Our work is one of God's good gifts to us. Such a variety. Using our time for the well-being of God's, world, of God's world. And through our work, God provides our needs. And that frees us to determine the value of our work, not by the location or the education or the income involved, but by how it contributes to the well-being of his world. God gives all work great dignity. The stay-at-home mum, the high-flying executive, the teacher, the specialist doctor, the nurse, the hospital cleaner, the volunteer, the missionary, the minor, the magistrate, all have equal value as they work and do their work as it contributes to the well-being of God's world. I can't just say, I did deliberately say stay-at-home mum first, because I think it's a disastrously undervalued role in our modern society. Uh, all work is good when it contributes to the well-being of God's world. So what happened? Box number two, the fall. The devastating impact of sin as it invades the human heart. We're going to consider just four ways sin has impacted work. Firstly, work is now painful. After Adam and Eve sinned, God said to Eve, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Pushy husbands and pain. And to Adam, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you'll eat from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you. And you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you're taken, for dust you are and to dust you will return. Because of sin, our work now involves pain and sweat and struggle and frustration. Sin impacts work inside the home and outside the home. It impacts male and female alike. It impacts the individual. It strains marriages. It erodes the harmony of family and the fabric of society. And note that sin doesn't stop work altogether. I mean, we, we still raise children and we eat food. But it's hard. Consider the thorns and thistles you face in whatever your work is. The frustrations, the disappointments, the unexpected costs, 
and setbacks. Work now involves pain because of the intrusion of sin. Point number two, death makes work feel meaningless. At the end of that last verse, uh, after you eat your food, you will return to the ground, since from it you are taken, from dust you are, and to dust you return. The writer of Ecclesiastes, this really bothered him. He picked up on this and he says this, and I've cut this quote down a bit, but I could read so much of this. (laughs) I hated life, he says. Because the work that is done under the sun was so grievous to me. All of it is meaningless and chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I've toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they have control over all the fruit of my toil in which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. Now some people hear this and immediately identify with it. Others will perhaps recall from it and protest that, well, there's a lot of good in work still. It sounds so dismal. Now thanks to God, we can enjoy our work. Even Ecclesiastes goes on and says that. But in a sin-broken world, We can't enjoy it fully, and we can't enjoy it forever. We all die. Thirdly, sin causes friction between people in the workplace. There are lots of biblical examples, but if you've been working for more than a few weeks and a job anywhere, you'll know that this is true. Have a look at this list that Jesus gave of heart sins, and consider the way these impact uh, our experience of work. It mentions their sexual immorality. How often does the news tell us about sexual harassment in the workplace? What about theft? When stealing from the till or from the workshop, being lazy in paid time, tax evasion. There's so many ways stealing happens in the workplace. Murder. Makes me think of Genesis chapter 4. Cain killed Abel in their workplace. It all began with jealousy. Adultery happens all too often, doesn't it? Starts in the workplace. Greed, malice, deceit. Makes me think of the story of Jacob working for Laban. All the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. Unfair treatment. Poor Poor working conditions. Trying to squeeze out the most and give the least. That happens a lot in the workplace. What about lewdness? I call it loud rudeness. Plenty of that in some places, isn't there? Envy, slander, arrogance, folly. We we see all these things in work, don't we? Sin wreaks such damage on our experience and our enjoyment of work. And lastly, we are tempted by sinful forms of work or sinful motives for doing our work. Now, some of the bad motives we've just looked at in that list from Jesus, things like greed and and pride and lust for power, they infect the workplace. Uh, The Tower of Babel is an example where, you know, they're they're building a skyscraper. Now, that's not sinful in and of itself, but their motives were terrible, so ungodly. Sins such as laziness or idolatry that breeds workaholism are also to be avoided. That's worth recognising that there are some forms of work that are intrinsically wrong because they are sinful. 
and they harm other people. And that's just a short, quick list of how sin damages uh, our work and our relationships. And I think uh, looking at it like that really helps us start to hate sin. We're being ripped off. We're being robbed of a good gift from God because of our own sin and the sin of other people around us. We need help. So let's move on to the third box. See the difference that Jesus makes in this area of our work. Box number three is redemption. See, no matter how well we work and and how good we are, we simply cannot repair the damage caused by sin. Only Jesus can do that. Ephesians 2 says this, For it is by grace that we are saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're saved not by our work for God, but by Jesus' work for us. His work was to live a perfect life in a sin-damaged world, then to die a sinner's death in our place. And lastly, to defeat the power of sin and the power of death and the power of Satan by rising again to new life. And he did it. So how does he help us? Well, his perfect life in this world means he perfectly understands our struggles and weaknesses. But also, he knows how to help us stand firm when we are tempted. His death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins so that we can be forgiven by God and have our relationship with God fully restored. Fully restored. And his resurrection means that death has no power over him and he gives eternal life to all who trust in him. That means we're now free to work as an expression not of earning God's acceptance, but an expression of thanks for for his acceptance. Not to win God's love, but because he's offered his love. And our work can become an expression of our thanks and devotion to him. And that's exactly what Paul says in the next verse. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Doing our work, doing good work in this world, it doesn't save us, but it's what we're made for. And God's already got a plan for us in that. And what's more, he actually tells us how to approach our work in the reading that was read before. Whatever you do, work it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And I find that verse so encouraging. Because it adds so much purpose, even to the most mundane task. Because we're doing it for the Lord. He's watching. He's with us. He's there strengthening us to do the task. He delights in our willing service. And he rewards us. Death no longer makes work pointless because death is not the end. The Lord rewards us with an eternal inheritance in his presence. So let's briefly consider the last box. What will work be like in the new creation? When Jesus returns, God will make 
all things new. The curse on work will be removed. We will be able to enjoy work without pain, work without frustration, work without tiredness, and our work will always be productive. The prophet Isaiah spoke about it this way. God speaking, God says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Now, Isaiah is deliberately picking up the language of Genesis there to show that in the future, in the new creation, the penalty of sin will be removed. The full dignity and joy and satisfaction of work is restored to all who are there, to all who have placed their trust in Jesus' work for them on the cross. Friends, heaven is our home, heaven is our hope, but we're not there yet. For now, we still live and work in a sinful world, and we're sinful people. There will be times of pain and frustration and disappointment, but there is also great dignity. There is also great purpose as we work for God's purposes and for God's pleasure. I understand two last thoughts before I close. Throughout the Bible, God is far more concerned with how we work rather than what we do for work, as long as it's not simple. He wants us to reflect his goodness as we work. Be a good worker. Honour God with our attitude and our integrity, with a loving concern for those we work with. Be good to those that we work with and those we work for. Our godliness will then open up opportunities to share God's gospel to talk about the hope that we have, to pray for opportunities so that we can share God's love, his comfort, his peace, his joy, his hope with those who are broken, those who are burdened by a sin-damaged experience of work and life. Friends, may God help us and strengthen us to enjoy his good gift of work and to honour him in the way we go about it. Amen.